This is one-on-one's NHL podcast, where we take on the five hottest issues in hockey with three of our NHL beat reporters. It's time to go five on three. Welcome back, everybody. This is five on three WFUV's NHL podcast. Today is Friday, January 25th. Happy All-Star weekend, everyone. Matt Costantini back with Chris Hennessy. Jack Caldwell is making his return. Uh... How was break, Jack? We haven't seen you in a while. Break was good. I was actually here a lot. I had uh, pretty much two morning casts on FUV a week. I was doing a lot of production work for basketball games, so I found myself in the studio three, four times a week throughout a lot of breaks. So a lot of back and forth between Connecticut and uh, Rose Hill. (laughs) I bet. (laughs) So, guys, we got a lot to get through today, a lot of news coming in this NHL bye week. Obviously, there's no games. Uh, so news is bound to, to happen somehow or one way or another. Uh, the Easily the biggest piece of news is Peter Chiarelli, general manager of the Edmonton Oilers, was officially fired a couple days ago. About time. Yeah, about time. Uh, he, was, and he was informed that he was being let go in the second period of his team's game in order to kind of give him a quiet exit from the building. Sounds like something from a mafia movie, doesn't, doesn't it? it though? Like, just, okay, just go through the back door. Just leave. So just I've been quietly. I've had a lot of time on my hands recently, which <laughs> is something I shouldn't be saying as a last semester senior. But I've started watching The Sopranos, and mm. <laughs> I'm in. I just finished season three. So you saying it sounds like a mafia thing? It really does to me now. Yes. So in my mind. This guy has to be the worst general manager in NHL history, right? Like, No, Mike Milbury was worse. And I know, like, oh, I'm an Islanders fan, so that's why I'm saying that. No, Mike Milbury was worse just because of the like the volume of player he traded away. Like, Zdeno Char and Roberto Luongo are still playing in the NHL, and he traded those guys away for Alexi Yashin and Oleg Kavasha. And if anybody out there has heard of Alexi Yashin and Oleg Kavasha, besides the trivia question, who got traded to the Islanders <laughs> under Mike Milbury, let me know. So I'll take Milbury over Chiarelli in terms of worst general manager of all time, but he is close. But you look at the guys that he's traded. You look at the end of his tenure in Boston. He trades Tyler Sagan. He, he guy's a perennial eighty point, at least a point per game, if not more. Uh, and then he gets to Edmonton. He trades Taylor Hall to the Devils. Two two years after he does that, he becomes an MVP. Uh, the guy he gets back, Adam Larson, hasn't turned out. Probably never will. Uh, he trades Jordan Eberle to the Islanders. He's still being a very productive player. Uh, and then you look at some of his draft moves. Uh, Nail Yakupov. That was not good. What are we doing <laughs> who, with that? Who else was in that draft, though? I, I don't know. That's that's something that you'll look up yeah, while Jack get, and I talk. I mean, this. the fact of the matter is he got probably the best young player since Wayne Gretzky, and the team made the playoffs, and then they got worse. Yeah, easily worse. Yes. I mean, he gave a terrible contract to Cam Talbot based off of one year where he was a very good backup. With one of the best defenses of the last 15 years yeah, in front of him. Exactly. I think that that move alone might kind of show you what Chiarelli was about. Not even the trades, which we could talk ad nauseum about because of how bad they are. But giving a career backup goaltender like Cam Talbot, who was old at the time that he got the contract... He played decently the year they went to the playoffs. Can't can't fault him for that. But then he showed his he showed his age, got bad, and they're still on the hook for a lot of money. And now he's a backup for them. 
and then they just paid Miko Koskinen four and a half million dollars a year. So now they're paying. How much were they paying Talbot? Did you say? I I don't know. It's a lot of money per year for two goaltenders. Like it, mm-hmm. it it seems like goaltending is the most important position in in hockey, and I would argue in all sports. But that's a separate conversation. Um, and he's paying a lot of money into that position uh, while paying as. Jack said the best young player since Wayne Gretzky, eight years, $100 million, which every single general manager in the league would sign up for and a half sets. Yes, absolutely. So like, there are signings, like I'm looking at this, so Koskinen, 13.5 over 3, Dreisaitl, 86 over 8, McDavid, 100 over 8, Russell, I don't even know what that is, 16 over 4, <laughs> Lucic, Chris Russell, Chris Russell. <clears throat> Lucic, 42 over 7, Sakara 33 over 6, and Latestu, 5.4 over 3, that doesn't seem too heinous, but... Lucic, 42 over 7. I mean, come on. In 2016, too. And he should have seen with the way that the game was going that Lucic was not going to be a relevant player for seven years. I mean, maybe you talk about a guy who you could acquire at the deadline for a half season who could protect McDavid if he needed it down the stretch, but you're committing seven years to a guy who's a bad skater, who's a bruiser in a league that is now emphasizing speed and agility, which is... Neither of those are things that Lucic has. It seems really silly to dedicate that much time and money to him. So, looking at the prospects for the Oilers moving forward, how how many years is Connor McDavid going to lose when a new GM comes in and tries to rebuild the mess that Shirelli made for that team? Well, he's got six years left on that $100 million deal. So... You want to make the playoffs. You want to make the playoffs half of those years. I would say three or four. Yeah. So you take next year the 2019-20 season as a wash. They're not going to make the playoffs next year. Let's just say that for argument. So then the season after that, they'll have two top draft picks from last year and this year, and then maybe some competent general managing. I don't know why that couldn't be the season. The Oilers do have some bad history with number one overall draft picks (laughs) besides McDavid, but Taylor Hall is pretty good. Yeah. Except he's not with the team that's anymore. That's true. <laughs> so, well, that's not I mean, necessarily that's, that's the, the Oilers as a, as a team. That, <laughs> McDavid is, to hockey, what Mike Trout is to baseball, except even better. I mean, it's And you're getting really paid less sad. money. And it's easier, significantly easier, to make the NHL playoffs than it should be the baseball playoffs because you have to win your division or get a top wild card spot. In hockey, you just have to be pretty much one of the best eight teams in the in a conference of 16 teams. And they can't even manage that. And one of the biggest things that Gretzky always talked about in the early days of uh, his NHL career with Messier and Coffey and all of his teammates before they started the dynasty was that uh, it was a league of 21 teams. And the Oilers could consistently make the playoffs as a 500 or so team. And even though they would be an early first round loss... Um, the experience they gained from continuing to make the playoffs was huge in them eventually taking down the Islanders. And if you see McDavid and Dreisaitl and so many of these great players just wallowing their early fundamental years away um, in mediocrity, how are they supposed to then gain that experience that's needed to go on those deep playoff runs and take down a perennial contender? Yeah, they went to that playoffs one that one time, and now like they have the best player in the world, right? I yes, they, uh, I mean Cro- you can still make the argument that Sidney Crosby, but I think it's very obvious once Crosby retires who that title he's the most is talented to. player in the world. He's so much fun to watch. He 
he's making like young kids fans like Tavares did with me, like Crosby did for kids in Pittsburgh. And then they go to the games and they see this garbage. Like I have sympathy for these Edmonton fans watching the 2011. <laughs> I, I was looking at the 2010 Islanders roster to just have some fun with McDavid and kind of what he's going through. And it's the same deal. Like you, I, I haven't heard of half the guys I was watching the games. Like these, these Oilers teams are bad and they have bad general managing. And I'm happy for the Oilers that they got out of it a lot sooner than the Islanders did. Yeah, I mean, there's no no way that we could even conceive of what this team could look like had Pierre Shirelli never got his hands on it. They might still have Taylor Hall. They might still have Jordan Eberle. And then you put Matt Barzell. Matt Anthony Barzell. All of them. Yeah, Matt Barzell. That, that one's tough to swallow, especially now when we see how good he's doing for the Islanders. And, how Wait, well and then when Griffin Reinhardt left in the Vegas expansion draft and never once stepped on the ice for the Vegas Golden Knights. Mm-hmm. So... Oiler fans, we're with you. We are we're rejoicing with you as as Ding Dong the witch is dead now. Uh, let's let's move on here. Like we said, it is All Star Weekend, and as is customary, Gary Bettman gave his State of the League address today. Uh, some interesting tidbits that he threw out there uh, announced that next year's outdoor games will be contested between the Dallas Stars and the Nashville Predators at the Cotton Bowl for the NHL Winter Classic. That's something that I am very excited for. And then he also announced that uh, the Avalanche and who else? It was the Los Angeles Kings. And the Los Angeles Kings will be having an outdoor game at the United States Air Force Academy in Colorado. 6,000 feet above sea level. Stadium that's, series. That's, that's interesting to me. That's a that seems a little dangerous to me. <laughs> a I'm little not bit. Lie. I think you almost have to give the teams their bye weeks yeah. leading into that because we were talking off the air when teams go to play the Broncos. When I don't know if you're a Jets fan, Chris and I are nope, Jets fans. I'm a Giants fan. <laughs> okay, when the Jets or Giants go to Denver to play the Broncos at Mile High, they usually get to Denver on Tuesday and spend the entire week conditioning. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen the Jets, Giants, or just other teams when you see guys with face masks or whatnot on the sidelines because they're having respiratory issues because of that altitude, and they've been there for almost a week. So how are you supposed to send NHL players who, mind you, are going way more back and forth than you are in the trenches of a football game and tell them to just go out there and skate with, say, two days off, which is customary? That doesn't really seem fair to me. And then... Think about being a goaltender. Those pucks are going to be flying. Yeah, really. I mean, you talk about about the conditioning that these players are going to have to be going through. We already know that NHL players are some of the best conditioned athletes in the world. And you you, you said it best. It's, it's so much different than a football game being played because these guys are basically sprinting for 60, 90 seconds straight. And then they go on the bench... They might sit for two or three minutes, and then they're right back out there. Especially, that's not to mention penalty kill time, power play time, any of that. So, that I, I like the sentiment of playing an outdoor game at the Air Force Academy. But, Chris, don't you think that they might have been able to find somewhere a little better to have something like this? Like, maybe have a game at West Point or have a game in Annapolis? Well, they had a game in Annapolis, I think it was last year or two years ago, Washington hosted. That was a cool venue. But they have had a game outdoors in Colorado recently. This was the 2016 yeah, stadium, stadium Series, series game between... At Coors. Coors, yeah, at yeah. Coors Field between the uh, Avalanche and the Red Wings. Right. The Red Wings won that game. So, it's happened, and they kind of, like... 
I'm reading the Wikipedia page quickly here. It doesn't <laughs> seem like there was like a big failure and people were collapsing. So like, there's no reason to think like, oh, this is going to be a terrible thing. And also like the altitude affects you indoors too. Yeah. So there's a team there. So like, I agree with you that it might be an issue and. Air Force Academy is higher up than Coors Field. Air Force Academy is over 6,000 feet above sea level, which is crazy to think about. But I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. I mean, I have, a, yeah. I have a friend who's at the Air Force Academy, and he sends me pictures. It is in the middle of nowhere. You are <laughs> way up in the mountains. The moon looks enormous, and I don't know if that has to do with the fact that you're higher up in the air or not, but you're really up there, you're really out there, you're not in downtown Denver the way you are when you're at Coors Field surrounded by skyscrapers. It's a very different environment. It could look insane on television. I mean, the pictures he sends me, the views, the landscape, it is really amazing. But there's there's obviously a couple of issues with that. It is, and I don't know exactly how far away it is from certain cities. Um, I think Colorado Springs. Yeah, I think is it's the, in Colorado Springs. It is. So yeah, it's like right there. So I mean, that's not really a major city. I don't know. There's not right. a lot of big metropolitan areas around there. So there are a couple of little red marks. Do we know how many how many seats this place will take? I, mean, I imagine they're doing it at the football field. They're right? doing it at the football stadium. And additionally, the Air Force Academy. As I look up the seat of the stadium. Uh, the Air Force Academy has a Division One hockey team that's quite good. Hmm, that's right, and yeah. They, they were are. in the tournament last year, and their jerseys are sweet, by the way. <laughs> and they are very good, and they have a facility. So they will have a facility right. to skate at and all that. Um, Falcon Stadium, 46 six, forty six thousand six hundred ninety. That's a pretty good number for them. That's not bad. Yeah. I mean, I know some people will probably just immediately say, oh, Air Force Academy, That's they're not going to be able to draw people there. There are not enough seats to fill. But forty six six, that's a pretty high number. That's that's a pretty sizable revenue gain for them. Uh, Chris, what do we think about this Winter Classic matchup? I know people are like, "Oh, Winter Classic in Dallas? Are we sure?" I am psyched out of my mind for this game. So the Cotton Bowl, uh, like all the big giant stadiums that they play the college football bowl games at, like fascinate me. Like the Rose Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, the Orange Bowl before they knocked that down. Just like the fact that somebody decided, and the Coliseum in L.A. as well. Like, the fact that they decided to build this giant concrete stadium that fills 100,000 people in it. Like, who thought this was a good idea? And they still fill them up today. Um, so the buildings fascinate me, and the Winter Classic is the Winter Classic. So I'm going to watch it no matter what. And they did have that one in L.A., that stadium series in L.A., mm-hmm. four years ago now. Right. So they can do it in the warm weather. So I'm, I'm not too concerned about it. I think it's going to be really cool. So something that was just coming to me as I as Chris was talking there they might have a bit of a scheduling issue on their hands here. Winter class, oh, yeah. But yeah. the Cotton Bowl isn't played at the Cotton Bowl, which is the most ridiculous yeah. thing ever. As you and I both know, Matt, because <laughs> we sat on our couches and watched that game in despair this year as Notre Dame got just throttled. They play that game in the Jerry Dome, which makes no sense yeah. at all. It's called the Cotton Bowl. And they have some, so random, like, they have some random bowl game in the Cotton Bowl It got bowl canceled, now. right? It was in, like, Boise and Boston College, and, like, it was raining Something or something about like that. that. Yeah. But, yeah. So, like, that, yeah, they'll have they'll have that game somewhere else. Yeah, that, that game will, will definitely not be played, but if the—I don't— I don't know why they ever decided to move the Cotton Bowl Classic away from the Cotton Bowl. I mean, obviously, it's to make more money, some more <laughs> tickets, but whatever. Jack, the Nashville Predators are finally going to be able to get on a national stage yep. that is not a playoff stage. And their fans are going to love it. And I can tell you, of all the teams that could be playing in this, it's probably the best team because of that rabid fan base and the fact that uh, Nashville to Dallas is not too far. Of, I mean, you could... 
uh, let's look up how far of a drive that is. It's definitely a short flight. But the point is, you'll probably get a lot of Predators fans in Dallas. And that was the big question when they announced the Stars as the team to host. There were a lot of rumors floating around that the Rangers were going to be playing them because of there course. was because right. the Rangers dropped and the Blackhawks too. The Blackhawks, <laughs> what about the Penguins? Are they also rumored to play yeah, them? Yeah, I mean, you what play, about the Sabers? <laughs> but to be realistic, you need teams that have a presence in other cities. And Dallas is sort of a random city. It's not really a hockey city. You're not going to have like Red Wings or Blackhawks fans. There's New Yorkers everywhere though, so you're probably going to get a good amount of Rangers fans. But I think it's really smart to have. Uh, another Southeast team. It's a close drive. It's a close plane ride. You'll probably get a lot of rabid Predators fans there, and I think you'll have a great fan environment. So we've mentioned that they have done outdoor games in warm weather cities before. I mean, they've done games in L.A. They've done games in San Jose. Now they're doing this Winter Classic in Dallas. What what does this mean in terms of potentially getting these big stage games like the Winter Classic, because I know the Stadium Series games are fun and everything, and people obviously go. It was just annoying when they had like four a year. Exactly. And they don't hold the same prestige that the Winter Classic does. Right. If this goes well in Dallas, and they don't have any ice issues, if they don't have attendance issues, could we potentially see games being held in Los Angeles at the Coliseum? Could we see games being held... I don't know. I, I want to say at Chase Field, but who's going to go see the Coyotes play in a Winter Classic game? Nobody goes to the Coyotes to see them play exactly. regularly. So, like, so, but does this potentially open the door for warm weather cities getting this big game? I think it opens the door for Nissan Stadium in Nashville. That'd be pretty cool. It's not a bad idea. I think. I but yeah, I think it does just because the NHL proved proved once that they could do it in LA. So now, like, they're saying, oh, here's four years later, we can do it again now. In Dallas, and if there's no issues, then yeah, absolutely. Or, or what if we go somewhere in Florida so the Lightning can get that outdoor game because they've been one of the best teams in the NHL over the past three years. Tropicana Field. And not, I- it's not outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> it's not outdoors. I, I had to say it, though. The Lightning did play at the Trop in their first yeah. couple years, but I've never been to an outdoor game. I've been around them, though. I was around Yankee Stadium uh, during the Wednesday night Rangers-Islanders game. I've been around City Field. The third period. Uh, at <laughs> third <laughs> Rangers period. beat the Islanders, God, by the God, way. he still remembers that. Uh, two to one in the third. They yes. lost two to one. Uh, but anyway, the, the carnival atmosphere around those stadiums and the energy is amazing. And what a better way to spread the game than to, than to do these sort of events. And the one minus that I had in my experiences and that I've heard is the cold weather is brutal. Oh, absolutely. It's so bad. I mean, New Year's Day at City Field for the Rangers, I think it was close to zero. So if you're putting these games in warm weather cities, there's really no reason why any anyone shouldn't have an amazing time. Yeah, and, I, I remember the... Uh... The Penguin Sabres game, I remember. It's the greatest game ever. I'm sorry, that's the greatest game. That's like one of the greatest regular season sporting games of all time. And then he I re- was fantastic. I remember the the Red Wings game that they played at, oh, at the yeah. Big House, when yep. that you was could, awesome where you too. could barely see what was happening on the ice from all the snow falling. So in terms of a fan enjoyment, it's not the best for them. So maybe going to these warmer cities will entice people to come to these games and actually have a good time. Yeah. Um, that's funny. You were talking about the carnival um, thing when they had it in L.A. They had like beach volleyball in the outfield because they had awesome. they had it at, like Angels Angels Park in uh in L.A. or they have it at Dodger Stadium. I think it was at Dodger Stadium. Yeah. Uh, let me look quickly. It's right here. Yeah. So, but yeah, they had like beach volleyball out in the uh, 
out in the Alpha. Yeah, it was Dodger Stadium, Anaheim against L.A. Uh, that was pretty cool. So it was like the L.A. beachy vibe. And then, oh, we're just going to play a hockey game right here. Like, <laughs> just excuse us really quickly. That was yeah, kind of fun. I don't and, know. and talk about the cultural sense. I think hockey has a really strong cultural tie to cold weather cities and just winter in general. And I think that's why some of these warm weather cities have a tough time jumping on because, like, I think hockey players and fans are really into that snow, winter sports, yeah. winter weather vibe. But if you can accommodate that warmer weather atmosphere and include more people who maybe aren't as open to the winter sport vibe, again, you're just growing the sport of hockey. It's great. All right, so we talk about warm weather cities. Here's one for you. There was an exhibition game on September 27th, 1991 at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. The Rangers beat the Kings beat the Rangers 5 to 2. 13,000 people won. I was just about to say how long until the Vegas Golden Knights like, an outdoor game. That would be cool. And also the Raiders are building a stadium there, yeah. so like yeah. maybe that'd be cool. I'm, I'm looking at the list of outdoor games. That'd be pretty cool. So we're obviously very excited for for next year's games. Uh one other thing that Gary Bettman was talking about today and something that we are going to see happen tonight and tomorrow at the skills competition and then the all-star games themselves tomorrow and then as far as even all of next regular season is concerned uh the nhl is now going to be using some technology that they are going to place on the players themselves and inside of the pucks used in games that will be able to more accurately track all kind of all kinds of data player speed uh, I don't know, intensity. How, how fast they, they skate, how far exactly. they skate. There's a whole bunch of cool stuff. So I'm on the NHL.com uh, article about it right here. So it says, The NHL puck and player tracking technology <laughs> will include 14 to 16 antenna installed in the arena rafters, four cameras to support the tracking functionality, one sensor placed on the on the shoulder pads of every player on each team, and 40 pucks manufactured with a sensor inside for each game. So they're going to track everything from speed to, like, you know how, like, in the football commercials, sometimes yeah. they have, like, the catch probability, mm-hmm. or they'll have, like, save probability or something like yeah. that? So they'll track everything and just give all of us nerds really cool stats <laughs> to look at. So, does that, what does that actually mean for the game? I mean, obviously, it's going to improve how teams operate, it's going to give them some more data that they can pour over. But what does this mean for the fan experience? I. I don't. I'm not totally sure yet. I know uh, from a coaching perspective, the NHL is creating a coaches-only app that basically has live stats. That's using all these metrics throughout the game that the coaches will be able to use throughout the game to adjust their lineups and strategies. From a fan perspective, I couldn't tell you because we don't know. I think you might just see the coaching. Maybe you might see more of a chess match dynamic in terms of coaching, which could play an impact on the game. Um, I'm a little concerned in the sense that I know this is a while ago, but the glow puck in the 90s, <laughs> that scientifically there was supposedly no difference in the size, weight, or feel of the glow pucks that they were using, yet the players hated them. And the players said, no matter what the scientists were saying, that there was that they felt they just felt different and that the players hated them. And that was one of the big reasons why they eventually were thrown out. And I know they're saying there shouldn't be a difference. But sometimes, even if the weight and height and size and all that is exactly the same, there can just be a different vibe. And that's one of the little things I've been thinking about that the players had complaints about the glow pucks. Yeah, and you were talking about the uh, the stats. And I think, of course, I'm going to relate back to the Islanders. That's what I do. Uh, then I think about Ryan Pollock, who's on the Islanders, and he absolutely lets the puck fly. But he missed the net by like 10 feet. So I feel like the, a player like Ryan Pollock, like, this can help him a lot because Barry Trotz, you know, God among men can say, like, mm-hmm. look, 
you shoot the puck 200 miles an hour, but, like, you miss it by 10 feet. So, like, relax. Like, you could actually show them instead of just saying it. It just, the stats can help a player just kind of fix something that's wrong in their game. Uh, it will be interesting just because I kind of want to know exactly how fast Connor McDavid skates. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it looks like it's kind of turning into a stat cast thing, like what MLB uses, and I would love to see teams start putting shot velocity on their scoreboard. Like, like, teams like bowling? Getting, yeah, like <laughs> bowling, or more importantly, like what teams like the Yankees are doing and putting launch velocity or or whatever. Oh, they have the, the batting stat cast on the scoreboard now? Yeah, oh, at, I didn't know at Yankee Stadium, they put, uh, ever since Judge kind of started going off and they got Stan, they, they're putting uh, I didn't they're that. putting launch velocity up on the scoreboard, which is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So, yeah, I mean, Connor McDavid skates real fast, and Dan O'Shara shoots the puck real hard, and we'll all be able to see that in number form starting tonight, tomorrow, and next season. I have a quick little Go for Breaking it. Islanders tidbit for Love you guys. It. Love Chris. It. <laughs> Uh, so Gary Bettman said that the league has final say in where, if the Islanders were make the playoffs, where their home games will be. Boo. The fans are pushing for the Coliseum, but Bettman's comment was that uh, <laughs> the Bettman's basically was sort of leaning towards the Barclays Center because it has more, more seats. seats. It's in a bigger city and it has more luxury seats. Uh, he was asked about if the Islanders will play all their games at the Coliseum next year. Bettman said no comment. No comment. It's yeah, still set it. for a half schedule between the Coliseum and Barclays. He's from Dix Hills, and he just doesn't care. And, and, <laughs> and then finally, there's been, I guess, some objections in Nassau County and in Elmont, New yeah, York, so, about the Belmont Stadium. And Bettman said he still thinks it's happening, but uh, he said it's looking good, but he didn't really guarantee anything. But it looks like the Islanders might still have more to play at Barclays than we thought. Quick story. So I'm also from Connecticut. My dad's from Long Island, so that's how I'm an Islanders fan. Big ice storm coming in. We're going to the game at the Coliseum on Sunday. Big ice storm coming in on Saturday. So my parents text me like, hey, we're driving down to uh, your grandmother's house. Meet us there on Sunday. So fine. So I get on the train. I go down there. And we're just like driving around. And my dad was like, oh, this is like Belmont Park. Like this is the back of Belmont Park. It's right there. Two towns over. And he was like, all right, let's like go back this way. And like we made a turn and just down a street. Every single house with, like, the little picketed signs, like, no Belmont Arena, no Belmont Arena, no Belmont And I was, like, walk. I was sort of driving down the street, and I was just depressed. And I was, like, this is this is it. Like, this is what I've wanted for, like, my whole life, like, to be at my cousin's house and walk to the stadium, <laughs> hop over a fence, and be there like that. And it's just, I mean, you know, the Coliseum's right down the road. But they're not – I can't – like, every time I – Listen to somebody say they shouldn't build a new stadium. They should just play all their games at the Coliseum. I just cringe so hard. Like, they're not doing that. So Gary Bettman takes one step forward, does things that fans like, and then he takes a couple steps back announcing stuff like this. Yeah, whatever. So let's let's close today's show with kind of a look around the league. I know last week we uh, we gave some award predictions, but this week let's look at some teams that – have really surprised us. Either they're they're they've exceeded expectations, or they're doing so poorly no one saw it coming. So so Chris, outside of the Islanders, because I know that's what you want to talk about. <laughs> of, of course, so of course the Islanders are the answer to the question, and they should be all your answers to the question. But I'll go another route and say the Calgary Flames. Uh, the Calgary Flames are currently have seventy one points. That puts them at second in the league, which is pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. Uh, they weren't really expected to do anything. Their goalie is still Brian Elliott. 
It's Brian. No, no, no. It's um, no. He's on. No, he's on the fl- uh, yeah, Flyers now. Yeah, they're running with now. David Riddich and they're running with Mike Smith. Mike Smith. That's who it is. So yeah, like who are those people? Like yeah, exactly. Realistically, I mean Mike so, Smith is a name because people know him. But other than that, yeah. But like, come on. So yeah, I would say the Flames. I'd say uh, Johnny Gaudreau, potentially the best American player in the league right now. Top five I can see at it. least. Yeah, I could see it. Uh, I like Johnny Gaudreau a lot. Yeah. Uh yeah, I'd say the Flames. Yeah, Flames are really good. No one kind of expected it, especially after getting rid of Dougie Hamilton. But they have a plus 45 goal differential, which I believe, outside of Tampa Bay, who is just out of their mind scoring with plus 59, uh, one of the best goal-scoring teams in the league, one of the best defensive teams in the league. Uh, they got Elias Lindholm from that Cal- from that uh, Carolina trade, who looks like he's going to be a 30, maybe 40 goal scorer. He's already year. at 21. Yeah. So they made out quite well. Jack, who who has done very well for you this year? I guess in terms of a surprise team, I'm going to go with the Habs, mm-hmm. just because I think the narrative was that they were going to be rebuilding. The narrative, I think, was pretty similar to the Rangers. It was that they were going to rebuild, they were going to struggle, they were going to trade some of their veterans, and that Carey Price was going to kind of ride his career off into the sunset without much success, and yet he's played a factor in keeping them in in. In the race this season, and in a very competitive Atlantic division, I mean, the Habs have held off Buffalo, they've held off Florida, and some of those younger, faster teams uh, down the stretch might, if they can get rolling, that can be a really interesting third place race. Yeah, I'm, I'm into, I'm into the Canadians. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see Carey Price is healthy this year. Max Domi has been a revelation for them. Uh, Jonathan Drouin is actually performing like everyone expected him that he would after that trade from Tampa Bay. But for me, I'm not going to go with a team that is in a playoff spot right now, but a team that has genuinely surprised me is the Vancouver Canucks. This has been one of the worst teams in the NHL ever since they lost that heartbreaking Stanley Cup to the Boston Bruins. Ever since they burned the streets of the city Yeah, ever since they burned their city to the ground. But this team has really come together this year. Obviously, I love Elias Patterson and Brock Besser. They are my sons, even though they aren't <laughs> on my hockey team. I love them so much. Uh, we're kind of seeing a, a resurgence out of Bo Horvat. 41 points, 51 games this year. He's kind of getting back on the track everyone thought he would. Uh, they're getting a lot of secondary scoring, and Jacob Markstrom is actually performing like a number one goaltender, which not anyone really suspected. I still want them to bring up Thatcher Demko. It's time he takes the reins, but... Why not just keep letting him grow? So, we got the we got the fun stuff out of the way. What teams have just been brutally disappointing for you guys this year? Jack, talk to me. Well, can I call out your devils? I mean, can you, though? Because everyone really expected them to regress. When you do nothing in the offseason, it's hard to like expect anything to happen. But when you go from a playoff spot to being the second-to-last spot in the entire conference compared to an Ottawa team that I think everyone predicted as being the bottom in the conference, I'm going to say that's pretty bad. And when I look through the NHL, I do have to say there aren't a lot of teams that shock me as being as bad in the position as they are. I mean, maybe Edmonton... Uh, I thought that they would be better, but I'm not going to say they're a total letdown because of all the things we touched on in, earlier in the podcast. So when I look at one of the teams that I'm genuinely surprised at where they are, 
I am going to say the Devils, and I did not really see them as a playoff team. I saw them as maybe a fringe 500-type team. Did I see them as a team with 43 points at the All-Star break? No, so that's I'll go with them. You know what? At this point, I'm okay with it. Maybe, maybe <laughs> get rid of Marcus Johansson. Don't get rid of Brian Boyle because I really enjoy his presence on the team. But maybe trade off some assets and go get yourself Jack Hughes. Capo Caco, all those, all those fun guys. Chris, who who you got for me? Uh, originally, it was Vegas at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. They were they were not good, no, but they they turned it on recently. Like six six and four in their last ten isn't that great, but they have turned two points third in the Pacific. That's just fine. Yeah, they they have really done well recently. Uh, I am going to say Anaheim. They are twenty one twenty one and nine fifty one points with a minus thirty two. You heard that correctly. <laughs> minus thirty two. No, thirty three. That's a yeah, three there. Minus thirty three goal differential. So that's terrible. And they have like <laughs> like I was at the game on Sunday and the Islanders played the Ducks. And it's like they gave up two first period goals to Cal Clutterbuck. And it's like once Yikes. you do that, I like lose a lot of respect. I love Cal Clutterbuck, but like come on. So yeah, the Ducks are really bad, but like, did we, I really expect them to be that good? No, but like, 153 goals given up is a lot of goals given up. Yeah, and that that just kind of backs up what Jackson Heil was saying last week on this show, where John Gibson deserves the Vesna, where they have 51 points and they still somehow give up more goals than they score, and they're still where they are strictly because of John Gibson. Yeah, but, I, I mean, I mean, and to be fair to Anaheim, they've been pretty hurt this year. I know Corey Perry's missed a bunch of games. Yeah, he Ryan, wasn't playing the other night. Ryan Getzlaff missed a bunch of games. They don't really have any many defensive people because Cam Fowler is is he out again or is it the other, or is Hampus Lindholm the one that's out? I, I know one of them has missed yeah. a lot of time. But I'm also going to kind of take the route I went with Vancouver. Colorado. They're not incredibly disappointing. But when you are able to trot out a line of Mika Rantanen, Nathan McKinnon, and Gabriel Landeskog on your top line, and those guys are all putting up phenomenal individual scoring scoring years, the fact they only have 52 points, and they find themselves in fifth, it's kind of bad luck, but they're only three points out of that third spot, Minnesota's up there with 55 points, I just think that they should be doing better. I mean, they're... To me, when you have that much talent, maybe spread it around, maybe break up that line, kind of give some secondary scoring some chances. Um, their goaltending, when are they finally going to give up on, on Varlamov? Like, they've scored 169 goals, but just seventh in the league. Yeah. So, like, I feel like you don't have to switch up the offense as much as you just have to get a defenseman. Like, I feel the same way about them as I do... This is going to sound salty, and I promise you it's not, as I feel about Toronto, just because like they have great offense. Like John Tavares is such a good hockey player. Like I'm not going to sit here and say he isn't. Like Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, Will, Will Nylander, whatever. But like their defense is just not that good, and their no. goaltending is just mediocre at best. Yeah. So it's it, like they're both in the top, both Toronto and Colorado, are both like in the playoffs. Like Colorado is less just because their offense isn't as talented, but both of them I can't really say, sit here and say, oh, yeah, they have a really good shot at the playoff run. Just because we've seen that you need a hot goal. Yeah, and they gave a lot of money to Philip Grubauer in the offseason, which is kind of weird because he's, once again, their backup goaltender like he was in Washington. He would have been the starter on the Islanders. And Trotz was hired like three days before he was... No, he was signed before the draft. So Trotz was hired by the Islanders like months before Grubauer was signed. And I was just like, it makes no sense. Like, why wouldn't you sign Grubauer? This was before they signed Robin Leonard, obviously. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I have no... 
you know, that's cloths about that now, yeah, but like, worked that's worked really out, you know, fine. But it just didn't make any sense. Like, why is Colorado signing up for that much money? Like, I know they don't give up on Barbalov. Like, they never have. Like, are they doing it now? It didn't make any sense. And now he's not playing. Like, it doesn't, I don't get it. And fun fact about about the Avalanche, Samuel Gerard, 50 games played, zero penalty minutes. Wow. Yeah, okay, there that's, you go. It's pretty impressive. Joe Sackick may not be. Uh, Joe Sackick is like the John L.A. of football, <laughs> of uh, hockey. Like, they play in the same city, too. Like, former player, like, can't do anything wrong. And no matter what the team does, they're just never going to fire him. Any last points, guys? Go Isles, baby. All right. I hope Lundquist <laughs> has a good all-star game. <laughs> I, re- I was reading something from, from somewhere, but Caps fans were concerned about the workload Braden Holpe's been getting, but... Todd Reardon was saying, well, I coach the team. I can just play Lundqvist the whole time. So we'll see what actually happens tomorrow. Wait, so Reardon's coaching the team, not Trotz? Yes, he is. Interesting. It's the coach from the team that won. So not the coach who won, just the coach from the team. I believe so. Oh, interesting. Okay. I mean, I I believe you. I just didn't know that. So, guys, thanks a lot for tuning in. We'll be back next week. For Chris Hennessy, Jack Hallwell, I'm Matt Cassatini. Happy All-Star Weekend. See you soon.